Dr. Russell Moore is the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. He joins us again today, filling in for John Piper. Dr. Moore, as you know, the landscape of sexual ethics in America is changing rapidly, maybe faster than anyone could have expected. You carefully study the trends of our culture. Uh, in your opinion, what do you expect in the near future? Where is the American sex ethic headed? And what will be the fallout? I was with my grandmother one time uh, years and years ago. And we ran into a woman uh, in the community where I grew, grew up who had divorced her husband and she had moved in with a man that she wasn't married to. And my grandmother was very kind to her. She was asking her, how, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? And my grandmother said, and how's your lover? And I remember being taken aback. And when the woman left, I said to my grandmother, what? what did you just say? And she said, well, isn't that what you call it, a lover? And I said, you know what? Um, Don't ever say lover again. And it was this moment of skin crawling in my own life. But I realized the reason that my grandmother was so awkwardly handling this is because she had never met anybody, I don't think, in real life who was in that situation. Somebody was living with somebody who wasn't her husband. Well, we're moving into a time when that is going to become, when there are going to be fewer and fewer things that are going to be shocking to people. The problem is that we're moving into a time now where I think technology is going to change uh, to some degree the nature of sexual temptation. It's not going to change sexual temptation itself. Uh, There's nothing new, as the Bible says, under the sun. Sin is what it is. Temptation is what it is. But technology can change how that temptation comes to people. And so I expect, uh, for instance, uh, the, the nature of the nature of pornography to change. And that, that has real implications for teaching within the church. Uh, think about, for instance, what was going on a generation ago when, when people thought about porn, they were thinking about pressuring those outlets in their communities from providing this. And so your, your local uh, 7-Eleven, your local convenience store, had uh, pornographic magazines behind the counter, or that, that local video store had the area behind the curtain back there in the back of the, the room. And, and there was a lot of effort given to pressure those, those businesses not to traffic in pornography, or hotels from having uh, pornographic movies and so forth. And, and that, was, that was commendable and that was admirable, but what no one saw at the time was that there was a, a digital revolution coming that would make pornography near ubiquitous, virtually ubiquitous, and also that it would bring with it this illusion of anonymity so that somebody doesn't have to think of himself or think of herself as the sort of person who would go and, and rent that videotape or, or go and, and purchase that, that magazine. I think we need to be asking, how is technology moving and how is that going to change uh, the nature of temptation? I think uh, it is quite possible that what we're going to be seeing is a kind of um, four-dimensional uh, sort of reality for porn where there is... Uh, a virtual reality created that can be indistinguishable from an actual sexual encounter. Uh, there are already people talking about uh, what's what's going to happen when there is, for instance, the use of uh, lifelike uh, robots 
uh, for instance, for, for, for sexual uh, immorality and, and so forth. I think we need to be ready for that and to expect that. I also think we need to expect uh, the transgender uh, issue to become uh, more and more at the forefront as, as more and more people start to, uh, especially children and, and young people, start to become uh, confused about gender identity. I, I just had to deal with, just last night, my own children, we were watching the news, and there was a news program that came on about a, a young boy who was, I don't know, four or five years old, and, and thought of himself as a girl and was going through the transition to be a girl. My kids said, I didn't even know that could happen, that a boy could turn into a girl. Well, parents are going to have to know how to answer that question because those sorts of things are going to happen more and more and more. I think we can also expect uh, marriage rates uh, to continue to go down as marriage continues to become uh, redefined and become so elastic. I think, I think the, the very meaning of marriage starts to change and marriage rates go down. And who are those who suffer? Um, women, children, the poor, the most vulnerable are those who suffer uh, right away. And then I also think we need, to, we need to recognize that while we're making a good deal of progress on the life issue as it relates to abortion, I'm, I worry about the way that the abortion issue is becoming less clinical and more chemical. And so I, I worry about what's going to happen when, like pornography, abortion brings with it that illusion of anonymity, where, where someone simply has to go and get a prescription from a, a local pharmacy. Uh, in order to destroy this this life uh, within them, I think I think that is something we're going to have to be watching and ready to address within our churches as well. Short term, I think the sexual revolution is going to continue to ravage churches, communities, neighborhoods. But long term, uh, I think the sexual revolution is going to leave a lot of people wanting. It's not going to be able to carry through on its promises. And so we need to be ready for those uh, like the woman at the well in Samaria to be able to speak about not only what it is that they're doing wrong with a call to repentance, but also to say, we have water that you know not of. We have living water that actually satisfies, to be able to articulate better why we believe the things that we believe about marriage and sexuality, not, not only because they are moral, but because they're, they're based and they're rooted in the gospel, that, that this, this picture of one man giving himself to one woman and one woman giving herself to one man in a one flesh union for life, this is picturing the union of Christ and the church and it's presenting an invitation to that wedding feast at the end of the gospel story. We need to be able to articulate that, and then we need to be able to picture it in healthy marriage cultures in our own churches, and to expect a lot of people who've never seen that sort of thing at all to say, why do you do that? Why do you live that way? Why do you value these things? Not only so that we can talk about marriage, not only so that we can talk about a biblical view of sexuality, but so that we can talk about the gospel itself. I think we're going to have more and more opportunities to do that in the generation to come. 
Amen. Some crazy challenges ahead, but a gloriously satisfying Savior to proclaim as well. Thank you, Dr. Moore. Dr. Moore serves as the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, and he will be joining us one more time as we close out the week. I'll ask him, as the church feels more and more out of place in culture, what are some wrong ways for the church to respond? I'll ask him that tomorrow as we finish out the week. I'm your host, Tony Ranke. Thanks for listening to the Ask Pastor John podcast.